So today's class, we're going to talk about Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Believe it or not, Rav Nachman echoed his words. I mean, I would say Viktor Frankl echoes Rabbi Nachman's words um, 250 years ago. Rabbi Nachman spoke a lot of times about meaning. Along with the book, Man's Search for Meaning, we're going to t discuss Lesson 65. We're going to discuss Lesson 88 in the second half of the Gita Moran. And we're going to discuss, God willing, Lesson 188, which are all Rabbi Nachman's teachings, very relative to the, to the teachings of meaning and, and finding meaning in our lives. So basically, we find meaning two ways in life, through inspiration, through searching, through a spiritual craving, or through desperation. I myself, you guys obviously know my story, found it through desperation. Um, and that's really what you see today. You see two people coming, finding meaning. You know, I, 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 it's amazing. You see this in my facility. Um, all of a sudden that people start getting to the spirituality. They start finding meaning in such, in, you know, coming out of an addiction, coming out of a, a very difficult time. So we need to understand that at the end of the day, Hashem's in charge. Hashem's running the show. And like we said in New York, I remember a class I gave in New York on February how, how much we miss the, the city of New York and may Hashem help that the city should be rebuilt, that our higher self never gives up on our lower self. We have a higher self on Shama and we have the lower self. And the higher self never gives up on the lower self. No matter what a person goes through in his life, that's why we always usually get the same lesson in life until we pass it. It's because we're not, we're not doing the right thing or we're not in the right place, etc. So finding meaning sometimes, unfortunately, like Rav Nachman says in Lesson 65, it's going to come through a tremendous amount of pain, tremendous sometimes, sometimes suffering, sometimes being lost in life. Sometimes, you know, you, you hear so many people today, you know, they found Hashem in the darkest places. They found Hashem after, God forbid, cancer. They found Hashem in, in the middle of, uh, you know, in, in, in times that were more difficult than, than, than better. And I would say today, it's because what happens is it's a natural reaction to us today that whenever we have pain, we close our eyes to it. We don't want to, be, we don't want to deal with it. We, we close our eyes. And there's a pro the proper way to do it, the proper way is to close your eyes and recognizing that there's a bigger picture happening versus closing your eyes and saying, I don't want to deal with it. So remember, closing your eyes and recognizing there's a big picture right now that I can't see. I know this is happening for my benefit, but right now my intellect and my mind is telling me otherwise. So the battle between the mind and the soul is usually experienced when a person goes through some kind of pain and suffering. It's he's trying to close his eyes and he knows it's for the best. He knows it's a cleansing. He knows, but his, his, his mind is telling him otherwise. How long, look how long are you going to be in this problem? Look how long you've wasted. How, how things are never going to get better for you. So you got to recognize that it's something that we all, all have to go through is that battle between the mind and the soul. Knowing that the soul definitely knows exactly what, that, what's happening for you is for your absolute benefit because Hashem created the world out of love. But the mind tells you completely otherwise. The mind deals with negativity. The mind deals with other things. So Viktor Frankl was able to come up with a concept called logotherapy, where logotherapy is the theory of meaning. 
And he recognized that man's real search in life, which what's really going to make a man really happy in life, is not pleasure like Adler or, or pursuit. It's more finding meaning. Once you find meaning, he says a very powerful line that the mean the 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 the, the minute a person finds meaning in life, suffering dissipates. That means the minute a person realized that he had a journey and he had to go through this. You know, I today if I recognize, oh my God, if I didn't go through my divorce, I couldn't even relate to people that are divorced today. If I didn't go through my gambling addiction, I can't even relate to people that are their addiction. They would, they would probably think I'm better than them. So now all that, the past, and I see my life and all the, the falls and all the things that I went through and all the struggles and all the toils and basically everything that I went through, it's really to help people today. Cause I'm like, listen, I know what to tell you. I, I've been there. I know what, I know what to do, do this. And when you recognize that, that everything you went through, it's only so you can help people and find meaning and, 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 and relate to them, that all of a sudden, all the, all the, the past, all the other roads and all the things we did mistakes on become, become not positive things. So even the times where I, you know, spent my times in South Beach and I fell into a deep depression because of what I went through, I can, I, I can relate to somebody today because I know what he's going through. So, when you recognize that everything you went through happened for your benefit, then you find meaning in life. Number one. Number one thing is that pain, unfortunately, usually leads us to meaning, as long as we're not numbing it out. So Viktor Frankl came up and he recognized something, and which Lubavitcher Rebbe, Viktor Frankl was at a time in his life that people were not giving him too much recognition for his work. Today, people are giving him plenty of recognition for his work. But at that time, he almost gave up. He almost gave up on his own teachings. And believe it or not, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, through, through prophecy, sent a messenger to Vienna to give him his zuk and tell him that, by the way, you should know you should not give up on your work. Your work is going to change thousands of people. Imagine that Lubavitcher Rebbe had such prophecy to know that how important it is that it's not just this, just psychotherapy today, just psychology today is not enough unless we attach meaning to it. That means I went through a, I went through an addiction because Hashem gave me a spiritual awakening. All of a sudden I have meaning in my life. I went, if I just say I went through an experience and I can't attach meaning to it, it leads to despair. So the definition today of despair would be suffering and not understanding why you're suffering, which leads to despair. Let's go back to the first day. What leads usually to suffering? Pain times resisting. Resisting reality, resisting pain leads to suffering. So now we know that pain times resistance leads to suffering and suffering without meaning leads to despair and despair leads to God forbid addictions aggressions and all kinds of terrible things what's the opposite pain accepting pain leads to growth so you can see right here it's such a you know the way we handle our lives and, and based on our mindset that situation can either make you grow or that situation can turn into, God forbid, a very dark situation in our lives. So it's whatever we do with pain right away. But if I already told you that our creator created a world 
with concealment, with a revelation, and he really created a world. And the whole purpose of this world is so we get to know Hashem. How, how am I going to get to know Hashem? When everything's good, I have to search for Hashem when things are, are, are not clear in my life. So logotherapy not only tells you you have to go through the therapy, but you have to find meaning. Because otherwise, you, you keep on going through therapy. You're going to keep on going through the same thing over and over and over again. Um, only through understanding that whatever you have to go through, there's a meaning behind it. That means there's a gift that you get after pain. You actually get a gift. And that is, Rabbi Nachman tells you in Lesson 65, you're going to get a new enlightened mind. You know, how, and he tells us, what is the litmus test? What is the test to, to, to determine whether or not we handle the situation properly or not? And he tells us that after a situation, whether you came out of that situation and you became a new person, you have a new way of looking at life. You have a new way of, you have a new perspective on life. You have a new way of looking at life. That means you actually handle that situation perfectly. But if that situation that you go through in your life and you never come out with a new perspective, then what happens is it's teaching you that you didn't properly surrender to that, to that situation. And you're still, you're still fighting that. You're still fighting the suffering. So that's one of the, the quicker we're able to understand and understand that Hashem's doing everything for a benefit that created the world with love, then the quicker we get to meaning in our lives. The more we resist pain, the more we suffer. And the more we suffer, unfortunately, the, the job of the ego is to never take responsibility. And unfortunately, that leads us to despair. So it's very important what we do. The quicker we get out of something, the quicker we give meaning to something, usually it dictates how fast we can get out of that situation. You know, for example, let's see somebody's in a bad relationship and the relationship breaks. So how does he attach meaning to something like that? Let's say he wasted a year on engagement. He should say that Hashem has to break your heart to save your soul. This person wasn't for me. Yes, he broke my heart, but he saved my soul. The minute I say Hashem saved my soul, already I find meaning and my suffering is completely alleviated. Very, very, very important to understand that. Viktor Frankl recognized in the middle of the Holocaust, in the middle of the, of the trenches, in the worst conditions humanly possible. And he said something very, very deep. He says, nobody can take away my attitude. You can't change my attitude. I can decide what things mean. And Tony Robbins is a very big Viktor Frankl fan. And to- a lot of Tony Robbins' classes are that when you change the meaning of something, you change the feeling. And Usually, the person dictating the meaning to something is usually us. And how do we dictate what something means? Basically, we dictate it on our perspective. If the perspective is off, the meaning is off, then, the, then obviously the, the emotion is off. So when we're able to understand, when we're able to have proper perspective, then we're able to give things proper meaning. But at the end of the day, Nothing like the Torah says, like in, in, in Parsha's Parsha, Re'eh, nothing in this world is good or bad. It's only how you see it. How do you see it? The light from above comes unindifferentiated. It comes blank. It comes blank. It's up to us to fashion it into a vessel. Bottom line. Very important understanding. So what does that really tell us? That suffering and, and happiness only in my hands. Nobody can change my happiness. Nobody can affect my happiness. 
Nobody can make me angry. Nobody can make me sad. Nobody can make me anything. I am responsible for everything because it's my perspective giving things meaning. Very, very important. Prime example. You come home, your wife yells at you. All of a sudden, you stop. Okay, what does that mean? I could say, she's always yelling at me. Take it personal, get angry, respond back, react. Or I could say, wife is home, coming home angry. I could say, sounds like she's overwhelmed. Nothing to do with me. Go ask her to ask her for help. Go ask her for help. Ask her, maybe she's overwhelmed. Maybe she's got too many things on her hands. One person says, I have an abusive wife. Another person says, my wife is overwhelmed. What happened? The same situation happened. But the difference is one person viewed it with different meaning and another person viewed it with a completely other different meaning based on how they view the situation. So Viktor Frankl told us very simple, which, which is, is, is it's your attitude towards anything, meaning towards anything is really up to you. And your happiness is really based on the meaning you give something. If you give it a good meaning, then at the end of the day, things come out good. If we don't get give it a good meaning, then what happens? Then we dwell in a negative emotion. You know, I've always repeated this a thousand times. And remember, guys, it's from my own mistakes. You're getting a lot of teachings from years and years of mistakes that I have personally made. And I've made those mistakes in order to learn. So when I always tell people, guys, whatever you do, Whatever happens in heaven and they give you a, a deal, always take the first deal. Don't resist the deals that heaven gives you. Let's say all of a sudden a person can, all of a sudden, let's say a person's destined to have a $5,000 fine today. And all of a sudden that person decides that morning, you know what? I'm going to pray. I'm going to do his vote to I'm going to thank Hashem. I'm going to have gratitude. I'm going to learn, I'm going to be so positive. And what happens? Comes out and he gets a $500 fine. All of a sudden, what is he saying? This is what happened? I prayed. I woke up for his bodhidut. I did this. I did this. And I get a $500 fine. Where is God in the picture? <laughs> My friend, you were destined for a $5,000 fine. And because you prayed and because you did what you did, you reduced it to $500. Now, you want, your attitude is, I got off easy. If you believe that your, your, your creator is loving and merciful, then you're going to say that $500 is a gift. It's a gift. I deserve much more. But you don't see the $5,000 fine. So what happens is if you don't take the $500 fine and you get yourself in a negative con, negative mochim, then what happens is that $500 fine becomes a $5,000 fine. So this is where we get confused, where I've seen a pattern of people get confused. And again, my knowledge, and I, I have too much experience dealing with people. I don't even have to read, write a book or read a book. I have too much experience 
with first of all thousands of people on the on the on the WhatsApp group, and then thousands of clients in my in my facility. It's what happens is is when we get deals in life, and something happens to us, and all of a sudden we say we got a bad deal, we got a bad deal, and you get confused because you woke up, you prayed, and you're like, what happened? But you don't understand that that five thousand really was meant for you. You reduced it to five hundred. What would you say if you were standing in front of a ticket line and all of a sudden the judge says, you know, you have a $5,000 ticket, I'm going to give it to you for $500, you would jump for joy. But how come you, you can't jump for joy when you're going through that issue? It's because you don't see it. So the meaning that anything happens is based on how, what our interpretation is and how relationship with our creator is also. If my relationship with my creator is that my creator is merciful beyond measures, then I always see whatever he, he whatever penalty that I get, whether it's a cleansing, whether it's a test, I'm always going to say I got a good deal. But a lot of the suffering that we're going through today, a lot of the pain that we're going through today, is because we're resisting Hashem's first deals. And I hate to tell it to you so black and white, but it's the same pattern. This happens, at least all of a sudden, how'd you get to here? because we resist the first deals. You know how many times I'm angry, people tell me I'm angry at, I'm angry at Hashem, I'm angry at this person, I'm angry, what do you mean you're angry? What do you mean Hashem? I'm angry, he, he closed my business on How do you know he's not opening up a new one for you? How do you know he's doing this for you? Don't resist the first deal. I'm telling you right now, I can repeat this over and over, and we know this from the partials of the, of the Mitzorah. What happened first, the leprosy came to where? It came first, it came to the, to the possession of the house. First, it hit the walls of the house. And then what happened? The person didn't want to take the walls of the house. Didn't want to take it. Didn't want to accept it. All of a sudden, it went to the clothing of the person. What happened? After he didn't take that suffering, what happened? It went to the person himself. So also, you know, first something starts the monetary problem or a relationship. Next thing you know, it affects our health. Next thing you know, your immune system is shot. You know how many people, God forbid, there's stress-related injuries, stress-related sickness because of trauma, et cetera. So you have to believe that, like you said, your attitude, what Viktor Frankl says, everything could be taken away from you, but your attitude towards any situation in your life. My attitude is everything. Everything is my attitude. How do you like, how, how would I give you an example that if you gave somebody charity and you just, your attitude was, you know what? Have a good day. Manage him, help you, manage him, give you strength. That simple charity turns into 17 blessings. But if I tell the guy, okay, what do you need? Here, here's the money. Please, I'm busy. I get six blessings. I get six blessings for giving the charity. I get 11 blessings for giving the guy a kind word. So all of a sudden, your attitude can change your success from six to 17. Your attitude can change your, the way you pray. If I pray with, a, with joy and I say, Hashem, I'm happy that I just have an opportunity to settle my mind and pray. Instead of saying, when am I going to get this answer? I'm never getting answered. I'm always getting answered. Everybody else is getting answered. My, I'm still praying anyway. The lips are moving. But what's happening? My attitude is off. 
my attitude. My attitude is the problem. My attitude is the problem. And nobody can change away my attitude. And I'm going to tell you the truth. The difference between one person and the other person is nothing more but the attitude of that person. If I'm looking at Shalom Bayit as an obligation, then I'm going to say, my marriage is an obligation. It's always a problem. I always have to do. I'm always getting asked. But if I look at Shalom Bayit as an opportunity to say, wow, Hashem is giving me an opportunity to give. I have to get away from myself, which is the biggest problem that we all have. We have to get away from ourselves. And I honor that really, what am I doing? What am I really doing when I'm, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm keeping Shalom Bayit, when I'm really honoring my wife? I'm honoring really the soul. I'm honoring the soul. I'm honoring the soul. So when you start recognizing that, what's, what's really happening? You're really honoring the soul. So it becomes an opportunity. So the difference between our lives is whether something becomes an obligation or an opportunity. That's our attitude. The same thing across the board in our lives. We have to understand something. Just like Victor Frankl. You, you can choose your attitude over anything in your life. And the way you choose your attitude is usually what's going to happen is going to be the outcome that you're going to get on something. Very, very, very important. I can't stress that enough. Another thing, he says, is when we are no longer able to change the situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Guess what? Coronavirus. Can you change the situation? Absolutely not. So what you have to do is, instead of waiting for the storm to be over, you have to start dancing in the rain. You have to be excited about the Wednesday Zoom class in my own house. <laughs> Normally, I like to go out. I like, but what we have to do is we have to stop waiting for the storm to be over, and we have to start dancing in the rain. In any situation in life, we have to start dancing in the rain. We can't wait for storms to be over. Because right now, we can't change the situation. We can't change 220. 220 has been a year of years. But at the end of the day, why should why have why such have bitterness like everybody else? Why be a pigeon like everybody else? Why be ungrateful like everybody else? All of a sudden I can say, you know what, I have a chance this year to work on myself. I have a chance to to spend more time with myself. I have a chance to really work on habits that I would have never broken in any other years. So instead of looking at 2020 the way we're looking at it. We have to recognize that, you know, Baruch Hashem, 2020, I've done, I don't, I don't remember doing that, that many repeats. Every day I'm doing a new class because I have more time. So it, it's, our, it's really, really, really our, our attitude. So we can't change the situation. You have to challenge to change yourself. And we can also apply this to marriage. We can also apply this to anything. If you, people, what, what's happening is people are trying to change their spouse. And it doesn't work. It does not work. I promise you. But what happens is you can start changing the way you view that. And when you do that, then the situation can change because that person no longer bothers you. But again, back to the same principle again. You can't love. If you don't love yourself, don't love me. When you start loving yourself, you recognize that person needs help. That person needs, needs mercy. You stop hating that person. So anytime that we're looking at a situation the wrong way, it's usually a projection of how we feel about ourselves. So that's another amazing line that Viktor Frankl says, when you're no longer able to change the situation, change yourself, change yourself. 
Number four, he says, everything can be taken from a man, but one last thing, human freedom, one's attitude, like we just said, in any situation, any situation. I always tell singles, don't sit around in despair. Don't sit around walking on that. Recognize that Hashem is cleansing you. He's purifying you. He's building your vessel. He's getting you, he's getting you to be the right person. Don't say, I'm not succeeding. How do you know you're not succeeding? You are succeeding. You're actually creating patience and you're building a vessel. Then he says something absolutely beautiful. Before we'll, we'll go into his, some, of his, some of his lines in his book, and then we'll talk about Ramnath's lesson. Number six, those who have a five, I'm sorry, those who have a bear, those who have a why to live can bear any how. I can't tell you how important a why is in life. We, I think Simon says next is begin with why. Begin with why. Those who have a why. David Lieberman had a had a class the other day, and he gave a great example. He gave an example of a father who couldn't lose weight, and no matter what, he couldn't lose weight. So all of a sudden, his his daughter um, needed a not a liver. I forgot a kidney. Needed a kidney. And in order for her, for, her, for the father to, to give the kidneys to his daughter, the father would have too much weight. He, ha- he would have to lose over 60, 50 to 60 pounds. Somehow the father was never able to lose that weight before. But now he had a why. My daughter's life. Is my daughter's life worth 70 pounds? Guess what happened? That, he, he lost the 70 pounds. And he was able to have a successful kidney transplant because it was his daughter. So if you look at this concept, Think about this. Before, how am I going to do it? I'm hungry. I can't do it. I'm big bone. I'm this. You didn't have a why. But when you have a why and you say, you know what? I have to do it for one reason. I have to do it because my daughter needs a kidney. I have a different leverage right now. Everything changes right now. The minute you have why, you have leverage. The minute you don't have why, you don't really have leverage. Bottom line, let's say a guy, he's not spiritual. His wife wants him to be more spiritual. Okay, how am I going to do it? I can't. I don't have the head for it. It's not for me. All of a sudden, his wife says, listen, I, I'm, I can't be in a marriage without spirituality. I think I'm going to go elsewhere. All of a sudden, his why changes, and he finds a way to learn. I would give you a beautiful example of Nick Cannon. All of a sudden, Nick Cannon comes out and makes anti-Semitic remarks. And obviously out of ignorance, not knowing. But all of a sudden, what happened? You tell Nick Cannon, you know what, Nick, maybe you should educate yourself before you make these kind of comments. But what happened all of a sudden? Oh, his paycheck is cut. Next thing you know, you know what, I have a why now. So what happens? He finds out, he starts learning with the rabbis, he starts reading the Lubavitcher Rebbe's book, and now he's making a coalition, making a tikkun, for between Jews and blacks today. He just came out. So all of a sudden, he's in the, he, he woke up, woke. He woke up the right way, I guess. But what happened? What changed in his life? Huh? Where's the money? No money? We're, leverage. He had a why now. So any time in life where we don't have a why, we're usually not going to get a how. We're not going to know how to do it, or we're not going to want to do it. So that teaches us teaches us so much more how, how important it is to build a why. And that's one of those Victor's 
Victor Frankl says, those who have a why to live, those who have a why to live, those who have purpose in this world, those who have, who are already thinking what they were thinking themselves, what, what am I going to do after the Holocaust? They had meaning, they had a better chance of surviving than unfortunately people had, that had, that had no, that had no will to, will to live. In some ways, suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds meaning. Such meaning of a sacrifice. The minute you find meaning in suffering, it is no longer suffering. It was the way you got there. How many times do I hear this story? Gedalia, if it wasn't for this, I would never find your classes. Now that I find your classes, I have new amuna, and my life changed. I, I, I hear that story all day long. If it wasn't for this, I would. I was. I was really. I was in, in the worst condition. My friend sent me a class. Or if it wasn't for that, I. I I picked up Rabbi Rush's books on Amuna. What do you think? People are, are, are picking up Rabbi Rush's books on Amuna when things are bright and lovely and peachy? No, I think people are picking up those books when they're completely lost in life, when they're completely, they don't know what's tomorrow. There's, the darkness overwhelms them. But all of a sudden, what happens? Suffer, they recognize that suffering goes away the minute you find meaning. And it's an unbelievable concept. And this is what I'm trying to get the people to understand. You have to get to know your creator. The more you know your creator, the more you'll, you'll, you'll praise your creator. The more you praise your creator, the more faith you're going to have. The more faith you're going to have, the more blessings you're going to have. At the end of the day, it all, it's all rooted in everything is happening for me, never to me. Because remember, it's usually my higher self creating the problem for me. My higher self always wants to help me rectify something. It's my whole self that's not listening. And this, and you know, and, and this is exactly what this is exactly what we say here. Hold on, let me see. It says, however lost an individual may, may become, one may rest assured that one's higher self will never rest, making whatever efforts necessary to bring a person back in which the best individual, the best path for the individual to walk upon which is his true self and his true purpose, which is ultimately discovered. Within our true inner self lies a dormant, asleep, waking, waking our conscious mind. Changing, therefore, is brought upon us to wake, to wake us up. And therefore, we can at least get to our destiny. So the wake-up calls, the, the midlife crisis are usually wake calls, usually out of out of uh, out of out of love. And he says here, all the while we resist interchange, our higher self has to push harder. The more you resist change, the higher the more your 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 higher self has to push, and the harder to awaken the inner sleeper. This is why many people face personal crisis in their lives because they allow themselves to gravitate to the wrong place in the wrong time. A higher self. Acts, our higher self, our, our soul, acts as the corrector. Then, it is the corrector. You are correcting your higher, your higher self. It's correcting the lower self. Because what happens is no, there's not, you're not in your purpose. You're not aligned. And, and this is exactly what's called hashkacha prati. What is hashkacha prati? Hashkacha prati is the ability that your higher self always this is exactly what the 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 Vilna Gaon says, and the the Vilna Gaon says that one's guardian angel, one spiritual guide, 
is your mazal. Is your mazal. So it's very important that we understand that concept. That usually these extra things and these and these wake up calls that we label bad are absolute are actually coming from your higher self, believe it or not. And if you understood that, it's like would you yell at a coach for telling you you're doing the wrong thing? It's your higher self telling you this. It's not your it's not God forbid, an independent party. When Hashem sends a specific partner in your life and your specific wife in your house life, it's a mirror. Why do you think he's sending you that mirror? Sending you that mirror to tell you, listen, this is what you need to correct. That's why it's always in your face. It's like a shadow. It doesn't go away. So it becomes frustrating. But the frustration is only because we're not changing. We keep on getting the same lessons over and over and over and over and over and over again. This is why we can't find meaning because we get stuck and we get stuck and we don't want, we're not flexible. So that's why I tell guys, be radically open-minded, be radically, take the punches and roll with them. Thank Hashem for the problems. Thank Hashem. Imagine if my higher self is getting, is, is all of a sudden getting me into the right mission, but he has to do it first through a complete wake up call. Shouldn't I really thank my creator for that? Isn't he, isn't it, isn't my creator, isn't, isn't my creator doing it for my benefit? Why would I complain? Why would I get angry? It's my creator doing it for me. He's doing it out of absolute love. If we understood that, then your attitude is, anytime something happens to you, thank you, Hashem. Then you understand why you say thank you. Then you understand why you say thank you. Then understand thank you because this is exactly where you're finally going to get to a place where, again, being rich is not the answer in life. Being fulfilled is the answer in life. To be rich and not be fulfilled. Look at Hollywood. They're completely lost in life, Hollywood. Completely too mild of the worst. They have tons of money. And yet they're playing around with children, for God's sake. So you could see the money is not the answer, for sure. Fulfillment is the answer. Alignment with your soul is the answer. Being at peace with yourself is the answer. That is the answer to life. That is meaning in life. Not chasing somebody else's life and somebody else's dreams and somebody else's money. It's connecting with your higher self and getting to you where you're supposed to be. That is finding meaning. And how you get there is you have to listen. And usually it's these calls that are going to happen. And they're, going to, they're happening to wake you up. And in those wake-up calls, you view, you view them as, God forbid, a victim or anything else. That's why we, it's so dangerous to become a victim today. It's so dangerous. I speak about it all the time. Never be a victim today. It's such a dangerous thing because what happens is, is you, you think your higher soul is doing this for you. How could you be a victim to it? If, you're, if, you have, if, if, you're, if your higher soul is not giving up, how could you blame your shadow for being next to you? It's your shadow. It has to be there. It can't go away. It's not going to ever go away. So pain, is, pain becomes bearable when you know it's going to end, not when you deny it. Another couple lines he says that when a man cannot find me- meaning in his life, he's going to find either, pl- he's going to find some kind of pleasure in his life, all day long pleasure. You know, many clients, they come to my, my facility. It's two things usually. Two things usually that the, the cases are. Either they're, you know, lost in life, they had no meaning, you know, picked up recreational drugs, next thing you know, became addicts, had no purpose. Or you have the, the cases of, of major traumatic, major trauma in their lives. But it's usually one of those two cases that usually fall into addictions, that lead to a person's addiction. 
but many times the younger generation definitely there's no meaning no meaning in life they get bored of life they get all these things in life so that's why when a person has when people have the means to live but no but no meaning in life and that's where he says man's con- man's concern is not to gain pleasure or to avoid pain but to seek meaning in life so now you heard Victor Frankl's work. Let's get a little bit into Rabbi Nachman, similar to this. Rabbi Nachman says in Lesson 67, he says, occasionally the soul becomes weary. How do I know? How do I know that I'm, in, I'm, I'm closer to my soul state? How do I know? Rabbi Nachman tells us, do you know how you know? How you connected you are in prayer. Occasionally the soul becomes weary on account of having grown distance from its mother, namely the glory. One must then revive it and heal it by the means of cool water, as it says, cool water for weary souls. When we pray without a heart, the soul is distanced from its glory. One way that you're guaranteed that you're not, you're not next to your soul, you're not in your soul state, is when you're praying without a heart. When you're praying without a heart, what happens is, is it, 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 you're distancing yourself from your soul. And it says here in the verse from Isaiah, with their lips they honor me, but their heart is very distant. With their lips they honor me, but their heart is very distant. Your creator wants nothing more than your heart. For the intention of the heart corresponds to the soul. Oh God, I lift up my soul. As Rashid says, this is the intention. It's more important that you think about the intention before you pray. It's more important that even if you're confused in life, Spend five minutes just getting, gathering your mind and your heart together before you pray. Uh, ask yourself the intention that you want. What do you, what do you want out of, out of your creator? Where do you want to go? Ask him. But first, don't go in there with a, with, a, with a heavy head and confused. Go in there first with a clarity. And first, it's good to, to spend some time by yourself being quiet, getting to know who you are, getting to know what bothers you, getting to know your weakness, like Rav Chaim Vital says, that most, got, most people come in here to fix one of the four elements, whether it's a, you, you're coming here to fix your anger or you're coming to this world to fix your, your water, your excesses, excess. Everything has to be excess in life, money, sex, food. Or you come here to fix your ego do, 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 if you're an air sign. Oh, you're coming in this world to fix your earth, to fix the lethargist, to fix the heaviness, to fix the depression in life, to fix sadness and melancholia. So... When you recognize that you're here to repair, we all have a dominant situation that we need to repair. We have a dominant feature in our lives that's dominating our lives. And basically, the, to the extent that you work on that dominant feature, then you're able to, to shine in other areas of, of our lives. And this is what he's saying here. How do you know? But when the heart is distanced from the words of prayer, then the soul, which corresponds to the heart, is distanced from its glory. And it says, when they, when they, they honor me with their lips, like you, you would if you would go to a concert, and you would see the 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 singer lip singing, you would freak out. You would ask for your money back. You would go crazy. You people would post it all over instant media. I got defrauded. I got you know the the guys the guys lip singing. Many 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 did it in the eighties, I believe, eighties and nineties, and the whole world would flipped out because they went to pay for a concert, and this guy was playing a tape recorder, and you know what they were doing? Blah, 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 blah. They were just basically saying exactly lip-syncing. It's the same thing. When you're lip-syncing to your creator, 
it kills it kills the soul. It distances the soul. So when you recognize that, one way to know what your mission is is through tefillah. I know I got through my my mission in my life only through tefillah, because through, through prayer and his body do because that has an awake you get an awakening. Lesson eighty-eight. Rav Nachman tells us that our job in this world also. Ravaria Kaplan says that we are born here to, when you were a child, when you were a baby, what happens is you know the whole Torah by heart. As soon as you, you, you were born, what happens is you forgot everything. They, uh, an angel would go and, and basically zap you, and next thing you know, all the Torah that you, lo- that you knew by heart, you've lo- you lost it. So what do we have to do in this world? We're here to recover all of the lost things that we learned. So that's why today we hear so many classes on Musar, so many classes on Torah, so many classes on self-improvement, because what, are, what is our quest in this world? Is to recover what's already inside of you. You already know this. You've already learned this. So when you hear something, aha, or when you connect to Rabbi Nachman's teachings and you're like, this is for me. I've been craving this teaching. I can relate to this. This is because you're rooted in that, you're rooted in that soul of the tzaddik. And also because this is stuff you already learned before. So what you hear, Rav Karya Kaplan says that the, once we, once we were born, it, he, he compares it to a shattering of the vessels. Everything you know, you knew, you forgot. And your job here is to a person has to spend his entire life seeking and searching to regain his dot, the knowledge and awareness that that, that things that he lost. And this is exactly what Rav Nachman says, that we're here in this world to gather sparks, to gather the things that we lost. For example, all of a sudden you have a desire to buy a new car and you, you want to try the old, you, you tried out the old car out, you want to trade it in. It's because that spark in that old car is gone already. Now you have a new spark that needs to be rectified. If you look at the Jews, they're always moving in. First, they started in Spain. All of a sudden, in Spain, 1492, no more sparks. They got out of Spain. And next thing you know, before, it started in Egypt. The Jews had to do what they had to do in Egypt. They left Egypt. Next thing you know, it's whatever, Spain and and all these countries, Germany. Germany, Berlin used to be uh, the capital of uh, of Jews. And so Jews go to areas, they do what they have to do, and they leave. Cuba, Cuba used to be packed with Jews. Cuban Jews, all of a sudden, there's nothing there anymore. Because when the Jews do something, they go there, they go to retrieve sparks, that are in those areas, and then they leave. I think today, you could maybe say, maybe New York is all the sparks are gone in New York. Maybe Hashem wants people to, to move to Israel. Maybe Hashem wants to move them out. Who knows? What, what happened today, what's happening in Manhattan, in a million years, you would have never re- recognized what happened. But maybe the sparks in New York are gone. And maybe Hashem wants, wants people somewhere else. Maybe he wants them somewhere else. Maybe there's nothing left in the city left. Because why else would he destroy the whole place like that? Of course, you have an idiot governor and all that. But the same thing happened in, 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 in Spain. Spain, 1492. Everything was perfect and gone. Same thing in Poland, Russia. You could see where Jews made all these transactions. Next thing you know, they leave the transaction. So it could be that maybe Mashiach is coming out willing and the sparks in America are coming to an end. And all that we're left to do is is, is, is done and Mashiach will be here, Bishrat Hashem. May, may we merit that. But you could see anything in life also. Sometimes you get a divorce from somebody. That spark is gone there. 
Now you go get remarried. New spark that has to be rectified. It's always, we're always rectifying new sparks. So where do I relate to man's search for meaning? You always have different missions in your life. One mission will, will, will leave. And next thing you know, you have another mission. And next thing you know, one day you're in this business. Next thing you know, you're in another business. And next thing you know, you're going to be in another business. There's always new sparks that Hashem leads you. It's because you're attracted to that spark. You're attracted to that spark because Hashem makes you attracted to that spark. And this is, a, it makes a lot of sense why there's so much change. And that's why don't embrace, don't resist change. Change could be some, you know, part of your rectification. You would have told me I would have been in, in, in this industry 20 years ago. I would have told you you're out of your mind. But there's a spark that has to be elevated by me bringing spirituality into, the, into addiction. Bottom line. So the same thing with us today. We all have these sparks that have to be elevated. And you get them through by being in touch with your soul and by being in touch with meaning in life and by asking for meaning. Part of your prayer should be, Hashem, I want to be able to elevate what I will lost things. I wanted to retrieve what I've lost in this world. Help me do that. And Ramachman also says it the same thing as your soulmate. You come here as one soul, and next thing you know, the soul gets split into two, and then the two souls have to reunite. And the and and usually the man has to go find the woman. And what happens is, if the man sins, he loses the soulmate. He loses his spark. He loses his soulmate. He loses his wife. He loses. He came to this world to marry her to have kids, but his sin caused him to lose her. So this is why we have to be so careful with spiritually blemishing our our sexual energy. And today, you can see the disaster with sexual energy today. But one of the ways to rectify this is by having the proper, appropriate sexual energy. Because when you rectify that sexual energy, then you're able to retrieve your wife and all the things that belong to you. But what happens is when you sin, the things that be, belong to you, not only do you not repair them, but they further become the sparks further get worse and worse. How do we know this? We know this from Adam. Adam, he was supposed to have relationships on Shabbat. He made a mistake. He had relationships on Friday afternoon. He tried to rush the hour. All of a sudden, he, he, he got thrown out of the garden. He, he blamed his wife. He, he hid. He got depressed. And for 130 years, he was spilling seed. Those 130 years of him spilling seed became had to be rectified through 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 what? It had to be rectified through the through Saddam and, and through Noah and through and to the Jews and the suffering in Egypt. So you could see all of our lives is the repairing, repairing, repairing of our spark. So there's a lot of information I gave you guys tonight. But the most important thing I want in information is is recognizing that change is part of your life. Be very open to change because there's sparks that need to be open. And sometimes Hashem has to close doors for you. And there's a reason why he's closing a door for you. Because there's a new door that's going to be open for you. Hashem doesn't leave closed doors forever. It's only when you lock yourself in that door forever. But Hashem never leaves a closed door forever. If the person has faith and a munah, a new door will be opened. And I'm telling you, this is the biggest secret of life. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the world. But you have to recognize that, that your life is always a constant mission. There's always new things in your life. Don't get stuck. Be open to change. Be flexible. And then you'll see new doors open up. And one day you'll be in this business. Next thing you know, be in that business. It's because this is a call, there's a calling inside of you to, to, to search to, to rectify that specific spark. And this, we could say this is the resistance. When a person is resisting, he's going to suffer because Hashem really wants you there. And you're not in the right place. And Hashem help us all. We should all get to the right place and the right meaning in our lives. 
And the most important way to do it is recognizing it's our higher soul that's always making us move. And we should never be afraid to move. We don't want to procrastinate moving. Sometimes Hashem wants you to move. And I'm telling you right now, if I would have told you in 2020, you're going to leave New York and move to Florida, you would tell me you're out of your mind. You're going to move to New York, but you could see what's happening. Things, people are moving. Before, they would never be moving. But 2020 is making people move without a blitz and picking up, moving with their families. Like before, they would have never done it. But you could see how maybe this is ultimately for the ultimate purpose. Hashem. All right. Any questions? Yes, Gedalia. For real, um, any questions? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The uh, first question, uh, you mentioned six for just giving the tzedakah and 11 for doing it with simcha and happiness. What's the source? Giving a kind word to the person. Yeah. So, the Gemara. Oh, it's from Gemara? It's a Gemara. It's a Gemara, it's a Gemara and it's lesson 31 in Lukut Moran. Got it. Okay, the next question uh, is from a viewer who wants to know... Um, can I desire to have stuff or I have to be always happy with what I have? Could I ask God to give me things? Because I have a lot of goals and I right. want to achieve a lot. So what should my right. view be? If you're going to, if you're going to be very aggressive financially, you should say that I want to desire in order to give, I want to receive in order to give. Don't just do it to become rich. Because what's going to happen is when you make a thousand, you're going to want to make two thousand. When you make a million, you're going to want to make two million. And then you're always going to have that. I'm always lacking. I'm lacking. I'm always, I don't have enough. And you're going to be depressed. So that's what we're worried about the depression. We're worried about the person always walking around with a, eating his bread with sorrow and saying he doesn't, never has enough of anything. That's not what you look, that's not what you hear in this world. So what you do is you, you put yourself in a, in a place of abundance by feeling abundant and, and basically you're going to be able to manifest and attract whatever's meant to come to you because you're going to show trust in your creator. So yes, you can have that, but the best way to do it is through, like what I do is every single business of mine, every single situation, I have organizations that give a lot of tzedakah. So I'm asking to receive in order to give. And guess what? They're always asking me for more, these organizations so I have to ask for more also. And it's, it's, I just just have to view it like you're the channel of the Shefa. But it shouldn't be to acquire so you can have a big ego and, 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 and have better self-worth. It should be an order. It should be, a, it should be a spiritual cause behind it. Could you touch up on the, uh, the idea of that your partner is a mirror? Sure. I mean, this is Rabbi Rush says, as many, many of our sages say this, the result. Basically, the Arizal says that your partner is here, specifically your wife, is here really to rectify, to help you get to, you, to your mission in your life, to help you fix your mission, to get you to where you're supposed to be. So it's usually the weakest areas of your life that your wife is going to point out to you. So you could take it two ways. You could look at it as like, thank you, Hashem. I see what I need to work on. I see it black and white. This has been a source of a lot of sorrows for me because I'm, I'm struggling in this department. Or you can look at it as your, your, your wife is verbally abusing you. Again, not all cases are the same. But in general, our wives are really there to help us rectify. A person who is sleeping at 9.30 in the morning, his wife's going to tell him, you're lazy. Get up at 7 o'clock. Now, her tone of speech has to change. But usually our wife's usually there to help us 
maximize the soul. Because remember, it's one soul, not two souls. So a wife really is there to help us fix whatever that we don't have or whatever we're missing in our lives. My wife, I was too much chesed in my life. So my wife helped me with the gevura. She, she gave me a little Moroccan. Before I was too, 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 too nice. But she gave me a little bit of uh, a little fire. So now I was able to have the gevura now. So she helped me with that aspect of my life. You understand? So she, she, they help you whatever you're missing in your life. Okay. The next viewer uh, mentioned that they study a lot of Zohar and Kabbalah and do a lot of mitzvot. But uh, when it comes to Muna, they're not that strong. And for even simple, simple things, uh, they fall into fear. Mm. What could they do to, you know, to advance this, even though they're, you know, very deep into Torah? Right. Right. You can be very, like Chinese people learn Gemara. I don't know if you knew that. In, 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 in South Korea, they learn Gemara also. Doesn't mean they're bringing it down to the heart. It means you're learning, but you're only learning it maybe to become smart. What you need to do is you need to learn in order to bring it down into your heart, Ram Nachman says. Whatever you learn, you should pray about it. You should ask to understand it. You should ask to fulfill it. That's why Ram Nachman always said that you have to pray, learn, and then pray to understand what you learned, what you prayed for. It's a combination of prayer and learning. If you're just learning without prayer, then all of a sudden you, you can have a lot of knowledge, but you have no heart. If, you have, if you're only praying, then what are you praying for? Maybe you're praying for the wrong thing. So you always need the perfect combination of prayer and learning. Okay. The key is to bring the knowledge into your heart. That's why if you don't have the knowledge, you're not bringing it down into your heart, then it's just going to stay here. Then you're, just, you're, you're an intellectual. What does that mean? What is that going to help you? doesn't mean anything. Okay. When Hashem closes doors regarding relationship, forcing us to reflect on ourself and development, is this part of our tikkun? Yeah. It could, it could, or it could also be that your, your vessel is not ready for what you want. It's teaching you to fix your vessel, to enlarge your vessel. You understand? Usually it's either part of your tikkun or a breaking of a vessel is actually a good thing. Because if the vessel doesn't break, it doesn't, there's not enough leverage and there's not enough of a, you know, traumatic situation to force you to change. So sometimes things have to really break in life to get better. Things have to really break to get better usually. But 99%, I would say a broken vessel is, is to make you change some nida or to change something and rebuild a new vessel. You touched up on the four points that people are here to repair. Where could people get more information in regards to the four points, the four areas that they need to work on? Right. Rav Chaim Bital speaks about that. Um, he has a book called Shar Um Rav Nachman speaks a little bit about that also. But normally it's, it's Rav Chaim Bital's work. What you should do is you should look up Rav Chaim Vital, Four Elements on, on Google, and there's usually a, a few books on that that you'll be able to find. Okay, one moment. I think that is it for right now. Oh, uh, no, no, give me one second. Uh, this is for a, from a person who wants to know in regards to Aliyah, with everything that's happening in, in, in the world right now, especially in the United States, um, it's a difficult uh, 
decision to make. Is is it time to make Aliyah or time to stay put? Listen, some some people have a calling there. They have sparks that they have already finished here. I think I still have some sparks here in Florida that I need to do, and 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 especially with my centers. So I I don't think I'm I have that calling yet. But some people, like we said, the spark is gone in Miami. The spark is gone in New York. There's nothing left for them to do in New York. So they can go. You get me? It really depends on the individual. Some people still have sparks here that need to be rectified. And some people don't. And for them, you, they'll still have more of a calling and a yearning to go. Like if you have like a yearning and a calling to go, it's probably the sign you need to go. Okay, I think uh, that's all for the questions for tonight. Perfect. Uh, oh, wait, 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 hold on. Uh, one more, thank you for asking my question. Uh, bah, bah. Okay, it's about uh, Garden of Suffering by Rabbi Kramer. I have looked for it and I cannot find it. Where can I find it? I have looked at uh, in a right. few- Breslov.org, Breslov.org or Amazon. It's by Rabbi Kramer, correct? No, it's by uh, Rabbi Greenbaum, I believe. But Rabbi Kramer wrote it. BRI wrote it. Abraham Greenbaum. Abraham Greenbaum wrote it, I believe. Okay. All right, Gedalia, thank you again. And great, thank you guys, for have a great day. Viewers.